This is Secure, hosted by Charles Latimer and presented by FinFit, a podcast empowering business leaders to build a financially stable and resilient workforce. Hello, this is Charles Latimer, the host of Secure Podcast. I am here with two very valued colleagues of mine. We're actually continuing a conversation we had at a pizza shop in Des Moines, and and I can't wait to introduce you uh, to Dr. Aaron Quinn. Aaron is the the founder and CEO of Album Health, uh, an extraordinary thinker in the field of mental health and workplace wellness. Uh, We have back once again, the wonderful thought leader, Tim O'Neill, who is head of innovation and growth uh, for workplace solutions at True North Companies. Uh, Tim, Aaron, thank you for being here. It's an absolute pleasure. I cannot wait to recreate this conversation we had in Des Moines. And uh, Aaron, if you wouldn't mind kicking us off and just giving us a little bit of background on you and Album Health and kind of what inspired you uh, from being a professional baseball player, if I recall correctly, all the way to where you are today. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for the invite, Charles. And uh, yeah, you you said, hey, would you be interested in coming on? And it's like, heck yes. Let's continue this pizza conversation. And I will say, yes, I did sort of get my start in baseball. Uh, I was as poor as you could be uh, as a player, given that I played professionally. So don't think too highly of me as a baseball player. But um, my, my background is I'm a psychologist, obviously, uh, you know, focused on mental health and album health is, oh, we're about in our sixth year of sixth to seventh year of concept. Uh, we've been around about that long. And really what our focus is, is bringing self-management and evidence-based self-management into the forefront. I actually come from a family of public health uh, people and in a public health neighborhood and really ecosystem that I grew up in where self-management is gold. And with some of the restrictions on uh, providers, uh, a a lot of desperation really in mental health, we have a strong need to push better self-management. And in in the end, as clinicians, we're always promoting that in our patients. so we've developed an evidence-based self-management approach. We have a core metric called YES, which stands for your emotional health score. And I know we'll dive into some <clears throat> talk about you know data and evidence and metrics, but we our real secret sauce and our primary component of what we do is simple zero to 100 metric related to how you're doing mentally. And from that, that sort of opens up a lot of doors for us. So we, we spend a lot of time on yes, uh, a lot of time getting it out to different populations, et cetera, but it is a labor of love. We're seeing great results. Uh, really excited to have this conversation related to financial health and wellness because the correlation is so strong. And doing some research before this podcast, I'm even more and more dedicated to, okay, we need to be doing more related to financial health to drive mental health outcomes. I, I, we're doing some things, but not enough. So that's me. That's, that's album health. And that's yes. Well, I, it, I, I get so excited every time I talk to you, Aaron, because you, you know, a couple of things that are just so powerful is one, you take such a complicated, scary subject 
and, and, and you and you distill it down to something that just feels so, um, no pun intended, but so manageable and so approachable. And you kind of remove the fear out of it and the embarrassment, which, which I just, I, I really appreciate that. And, and Tim, if you wouldn't mind sort of triangulating that as well, you, you know, your, your, your efforts in innovating in sort of workforce solutions, looking at risk across populations, I think just adds such an interesting dimension to the work that Aaron's doing. If, if, would you mind just sort of giving, I, I know a lot of our audience are, already knows you, but would you mind just sort of recapping that and sort of helping triangulate, uh, you know, a, a, against and for and with uh, w- what Album Health does? Yeah, I'd be glad to, Charles. Thanks for having me on the podcast today. Um, my career started out in health and well-being and um, really helping individuals take care of themselves and their physical health. And as my career continued to progress in various human resources leadership roles, um, I became uh, the leader of a global benefits and wellness program for a large enterprise and really had the privilege of being able to take some of those traditional health and well-being strategies and start to integrate that with the benefits plan design. And for me, that was really, really rewarding work. And as we started to look at the total cost of risk across our organization, we knew without a doubt that the health of the individuals as well as their families had a direct impact on that risk to the company. And so really I've dedicated kind of the second half of my career um, as I approach this at True North and our customers is really to help think through some of those workforce strategies. And, you know, the area of mental health as well as financial well-being, there really aren't two better places to start for companies in thinking about how to manage that risk across the population while putting in place programs that help their employees uh, and their families thrive. So super excited to be here today to talk about that. As you mentioned, my job is to drive growth and innovation. And so always looking for the next way that we can innovate and add value in that space. Talk to me about uh, 10 years ago uh, when you were running Global Benefits for Meredith, all the way up till today, the, the the conversation regarding mental health in the workplace. How has that evolved? Yeah, you know, um, I like to say that financial well-being today is where mental health was 10 or 15 years ago. And what I mean by that is 10 years ago, people weren't talking about mental health. They weren't talking about the fact that they might be struggling, uh, whether it be with personal finances or family dynamics or whatever it may be. Um, It was something that people kept to themselves. Uh, They certainly wouldn't want their employer or their manager to know. And that conversation, thankfully, has, has finally evolved and changed, especially as you look at the millennials and Gen Z entering the workplace. They're much more comfortable talking about the fact that, hey, I'm struggling right now. And, you know, working with their colleagues to help work through some of those issues we're not seeing that yet around financial well-being. Um, what we are seeing is everything's fine, everything's good. Um, don't want anybody to know that I'm living paycheck to paycheck or might be struggling to make rent this month. So I think in terms of financial well-being, I see that now where we were with mental health 10 years ago. I, 
I, I 100% agree. I think I've seen that. I, I think your proximity is is so much closer than than mine has been historically. But uh, Aaron, w- would you mind sort of, I, I know that, you know, we you've talked a little bit about the research that you've done in terms of the, the intersection of the correlation between financial precarity and, and mental health. And so where all of these things are sort of converging right now in the workplace, could, could you help us unpack that and kind of talk about how those are intersected? Yeah, it, it's interesting. You know, Tim, you bring up that mental health is ahead of financial well-being in the discussion. And, you know, I'm not expert in the why of that, but I do know I rarely hear that. And, you know, starting in mental health and starting commercially, I recall going into companies in our very early stages and being told, hey, how can you disguise what you're doing (laughs) to move the needle without bringing up mental health? And, you know, I, I'm wondering, I'm guessing the same conversation is happening, but but the the link between the two in doing research, number one, I immediately went to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So if you, you understand the pyramid and not to geek out on Maslow and his important work, but, <clears throat> you know, financial well-being and mental health are both in that second tier at the, the wide part of that that pyramid, right? Safety needs. So, you know, having a roof over your head and clothes and basic food, those are the only things more important than having those safety needs and mental health and financial well-being are a part of that tier. And so we're linked in theory. We're linked as far as value on overall conceptual. But uh, some of the research that I dug into really says there's about 50% of people who have debt have a mental health diagnosis. And there's that bi-directional relationship. And that sent me on this pathway of etiology. Okay, what are the causal pathways? What's going on here? And when people have financial stress, that is psychological, physiological stress. And one of the problems that happens when people are stressed is there's a lack of executive functioning. So what happens? Poor judgment. People go out and buy things that they shouldn't. They spend beyond budget. It's, of course, a stress coping strategy. And now with Amazon, that took me down the rabbit hole of Amazon, where clicks are so simple to make that the the etiology of financial well-being and the the connection between the two is just fascinating. Um, And that 50% number is about there. That, that's about spot on that it, 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 the causality is just enormous. So you can't do one without the other and you just can't separate the two because they are from Maslow on to current etiology just intertwined. So I, I, I love that you brought in Maslow and how in, in your sort of self-managed framework do you help individuals uh, that are in stress and exacerbating their mental health condition? And, and what, what can we in the financial well-being space learn from the work that you're, that you're already doing in terms of mental health? Number one, uh, I'll say this over and over again, and, and Charles and Tim, I know, you know we've had enough discussion to know that we, we see the things the same way. You, you have to measure. So 
while we are measuring mental health, you also have to measure financial well-being. And the measurement has to be simple and it has to be meaningful. You know, the term in statistics around statistical significance doesn't mean much, but meaningfulness is very important. So number one is, is we have to be measuring both at the same time. And from there, and then we can run analytics and understand, well, specifically what's happening here when somebody's under financial stress and duress, they're not exercising, they're not taking their medications. We have data on this. So we can drive that on our side, we can help with medication adherence, for example. But on the other side where we need partnerships and, and we need to shift to solutions around, we need to feed that information to you, Charles. So you can do assist on those fronts and, and specific behaviors that people can take. And then on our side, uh, we steer people towards financial wellness programs and interventions to actually manage their financial well-being better. This has to be behavioral. It has to be measured. It has to be simple. And we need to track it. So we're both operating out of the same data platform and looking at what's working and what's not and by what demographic, et cetera. So that's where we are. Exactly. I, and, and I would say, you know, I, I think that True North is doing so many interesting things around. I, I'm thinking, Tim, the work that you all are doing in, in the trucking space, looking at the stress that truckers uh, have. And, 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 and we could absolutely overlay everything that Aaron just said uh, re regarding that self-managed framework and, and looking at the data. W would you mind just unpacking that a little bit, the work that you all are doing and connecting that to some of the, the earlier points that Aaron was making? Yeah, I'd be glad to, Charles. Um, one of the things that gets me so excited to come to work every single day, and I, I mean this sincerely, is really thinking about how to improve the level of financial well-being for an individual to really lower that temperature so that somebody can think clearly, they can be uh, sleeping better, they can suffer from lower levels of anxiety, uh, and certainly lower levels of distractions, whether they're operating a 80,000 pound semi driving that down the road, or whether they're administering medications to a patient in a hospital setting, or using dangerous equipment on a construction site or manufacturing line. We really feel that when you can lower that temperature for somebody, they can think clearly. Um, it has a direct impact on safety, uh, as well as attendance, as well as even things like traffic violations. And, you know, with True North, we do business with about a third of the top 100 U.S. motor carriers. And so as we think about types of companies that we work with and the total cost of risk, there's a lot on the line. Uh, if you think about when one of those trucks crashes, we're seeing more and more nuclear verdicts that are in excess of $10 million. And you know, more importantly, beyond that, um, people can get hurt. And that's not unique to the trucking industry. And so for us, as we really think about bringing those two pieces together, we really feel like there's an opportunity to make our community safer and to help individuals thrive at the same time. So super excited to start looking at improvements in um, financial well-being, uh, reductions in stress, and how that directly can cause safer trucks on the roads. It really seems to me 
that that the work that you all are doing, and I know it's connected into some of the work I guess Carrie Liana, uh, the wonderful researcher out of the University of Pittsburgh, is doing connecting emergency savings with lowering that sort of stress temperature and actually having a direct impact on things like a reduction in incidents in you know safety incidences on the road. Uh, and, and I begin thinking about okay, well. It, if we're taking that data and that methodology and driving that all the way through into risk models and, and seeing financial precarity as an accelerant, a fuel to the negative feedback loops that happen on the mental health side, that that, that to me is, it, it becomes really, it, beyond interesting, it becomes important that, that we begin connecting these models so that we can understand when, and, and I have this question as well, Aaron, which is, you know, if you're on a scale of one to a hundred and financial stress is accelerating or exacerbating uh, an individual in their self-managed framework, what's the tipping point? I mean, where where across that spectrum of measurement do, do you raise a flag? And when you raise a flag, what happens at that moment? What does intervention look like? Yeah. So in, in our model, <clears throat> in zero to 100, we start to heighten intervention and intervene to assist self-management. So sort of, you know, a little more handholding, uh, a little more guidance, and we do it through health coaches. Uh, our, health, our health coaches are focused on their, their specialists in mental health. So we have a, a, a number, 80 is our threshold. So 80 and above, we consider that people are really doing the behaviors that they need to do to help them feel well. And the, the other part of our measurement is actual mental health symptoms, depression, anxiety, and stress. We're looking at behavior activity, mental health symptomology, that's 50%, 50-50 of our 100. So if you're over 80, you're in a pretty good spot. When you drop below that, we activate our health coaches to come in and say, hey, <clears throat> we're seeing usually a drop in health behaviors you're not doing the things that you typically do. And it's a personal interaction. So what we, we do at that point is our coaches are trained to navigate to resources provided by employers. You know, Tim, this is the work we've done. Uh, when you're working with Tim, there's typically a financial well-being solution in place and our coaches can steer people in that direction to the resources. And it, it really is about doing some assessment. And that's where I always think it's really important that we have digital, but a human is involved as well, where we can have a conversation. Uh, and we can, we have behavioral triggers though, that sort of raise a red flag, something's going on. Sometimes we can figure it out just through the software and our product and other times we need our health coaches to come in and, and get a get a, do a deeper dive and then we do steerage from there i i would be so fascinated to i either find the resources for the research or maybe this research has already been done where mapping moments of intervention with historic financial transaction data it was something we talked about over pizza that night that i just continue to say you know, it, because it, if we could understand, you know, where, where somebody's reaching that tipping point, uh, that where they're going to require intervention, if we could sort of understand that on the transaction level data and, and, and get there, you know, five days earlier, you know, a week earlier, 
uh, you, you know, get people out of that real hot spot moment. Uh, I, I, just, I just think that there's a really a lot that we could possibly be doing there to kind of help both uh, understand the relationship of financial well-being uh, in, in mental health, but also be an additive partner in, in with, you know, in the self-managed care framework and all that. So if, if, am I... Am I driving off the range there, or 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 is there something there? There, as they say, I, anybody. Oh, I mean, my opinion is there's clearly a there there. I mean, we need to do better. We need to even. I would take it a step further and predict. You know, we we can see. I know with the work uh, you're doing, Charles, and the work that we're doing we can see the fire before it happens. I mean, you know, a lot of times we're responding to the smoke and the fire's been burning for a bit. We need to obviously intercept more quickly. And and it's really exciting if you're looking at transaction history, the, the, the mapping will clearly show, you know, I believe, oh, here it comes. Uh, here's what's going on. And, you know, on our side, we have a few key behaviors like one of the things we clearly see is physical activity starts to drop, right? Uh, when physical activity starts to drop, we don't go, uh-oh, that kind of cascades into other problems for us. And then the big dog is people with conditions stop adhering to medications. Then we're in big trouble, right? So um, we need to do more. There's a there. Yeah, I would agree with that totally. I mean, if you think about you know, somebody's spending money, you know, whether it be, you know, shopping uh, in an outlet or online or wherever it may be as a coping mechanism when they're suffering um, from, you know, some sort of mental health concern or distressor in their life, to the extent that you can predict that and intervene and, and give alternate coping strategies, I think it can make a huge difference for somebody financially if you're falling into some of those habitual patterns. I, has there been any work done or, or is there also an opportunity here to, to test some models where if, if somebody is, is reaching that tipping point, uh, that a part of the intervention is a really, let's just say, an aggressive debt management strategy, literally where, you, you know, there's kind of a, a consolidation of debt in, into in a low interest model that, carries out over time with intensive financial coaching to kind of help that off ramp, you know, sort of significantly lower the temperature there. Has there been any work that's been done there or any, you know, is there an opportunity to test that somehow? Tim, I don't know if you're aware of any, I am not aware of anything. And back to the concept of mapping, and using data i mean if we can create a hierarchy for each person understand the most important stressors on down attack we know financial is right up there right if not the top it, it's and then intervening appropriately you know based on that would be enormous uh I, i'm not aware of any research i think everybody understands that's fact you know, uh, on, on both sides, but not aware of it. No, and for me, I look at it as we think about even like the traditional healthcare model, oftentimes it's more of a sick care model where you wait till there's a problem, then you go in to get it fixed. I think the same is true with, with the financial uh, world as well. As you think about an individual 
develops bankruptcy or has another issue, and then they seek out ways to, to try to address that. So for me, no, I haven't seen any research or any work done on the front end predictive, but if you can do it, it'd be very groundbreaking. And and I, I like to say, you know, financial well-being and, and financial health, for let's say the bottom two-thirds of the health spectrum financially, those who are either coping or vulnerable, living paycheck to paycheck, it, 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 the solution is easy. The behavioral challenge is very difficult. I mean, you have to basically spend a little bit less than you make and make a couple of good decisions. And and so, I mean, what, what's interesting about financial well-being, I've always thought, is that the solution set is very clear. The behavioral challenge is hard. Uh, the, and that's where I think these two domains uh, working together, financial well-being and mental health, we have so much to learn from each other. Because on the behavioral side, I would say, historically, we've been completely absent. You, you know, literally the same amount of folks in America are living paycheck to paycheck today as they were effectively 25 years ago. You, you know, there's been billions of dollars being spent to try to sort of educate you know, financial literacy. None of that is really moving the needle, honestly. It's a core behavioral challenge. It, one could even say there's probably a mental health challenge embedded in that. Uh, there, there's some really interesting work being done on, uh, you know, effectively connecting financial health to trauma. You, you know, if, if you're having challenges in your finances, you can connect that back to trauma. I mean, these are all the all these domain areas, these ecosystems of data and approach. There's so much to learn from each other. And, and can, can you help me, uh, both Tim and Aaron, talk about these big domains that maybe could come together and, and work more effectively? And how would we how would we start doing that? You know, what, what is just a really simple way that companies, individuals, HR functions, how, how can we begin to connect these dots in these domains? What I would say is the good news is most of that work can be done behind the scenes. It can be done confidentially. It can be done by third-party providers that won't sell the data or disclose the data. And honestly, uh, the company or employer can know that this is handled and have a view on the aggregate without actually needing to see or come in contact with any individual information. And so for me, it's always been about um, integrating the data pieces. Uh, a lot of companies have data silos out there where they've got data in different places, whether it be you know, work comp data you know, from a risk management standpoint, uh, the accidents, the injuries, totally separate might be medical and pharmacy claims, totally separate maybe whether individuals are living paycheck to paycheck or on top uh, track for retirement. And then certainly in Aaron's world, you know, the health and mental health data as well. And so for me, as you start to intersect those um, and the cost of doing so is coming down so much that it's actually affordable for companies to be able to invest in these strategies it's less about individual point solutions and it's more about the integration of the correct solutions to be able to tie into the strategy for your business. So I'm very optimistic in terms of where uh, we're going as a company at True North, uh, both with the integration and then the intervention and then the innovation that can come with that. So very bullish. 
I, I love that. You brought up something that I think is important. And Aaron, I, I know you had experience in this, which is working with the privacy of data. It's probably there's, uh, and and I, I we also on the financials in financial services have very obviously very strict privacy protocols. And and talk to me about potential strategies of taking these historic ecosystems of data that one are so locked down for all the right reasons to get them to sort of talk and be meaningful data sets that are interpolated seems to be a challenge, but I know you have some really uh, powerful history and perspectives on that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> privacy is obviously paramount. Uh, you, you know, it's been, I, I think important for all of us in that, you know, we, we are, go through incredible lengths to make sure the data is secure, uh, unidentifiable. Uh, I'm a clinician by trade. So PHI in the world of HIPAA got me started a long time ago with the Affordable Care Act in that world. And it's only gotten, you know, more and more heightened. But I do see, you know, with the appropriate agreements in place, the the appropriate security in place with the vendors that we do pretty well uh, integrate information in ways that we can make behavior change. Uh, And it's not as much of a barrier. I'm not seeing it as as much of a barrier because we've come so far technologically. You know, when HIPAA first hit, it was like, oh my goodness, we were paralyzed for a while. You know, I didn't even know how to write my clinical notes uh, for years and we were paralyzed. But at this point, I think we're much more nimble uh, on our end, and I can see that we work with other vendors. We single sign on experience with ease. We integrate data. We extract insights and share them from one another. We can operate off a common platform. There is, at some level, we have to agree on a common platform, right, where the data is housed. And that's what Tim is talking about. You know, when we first enter, entered the commercial fray, it was like, oh, you have a problem with diabetes? Get a diabetes solution. Go. You know, there was no communication and that just doesn't work. I mean, that, that's, that's fake healthcare. Uh, and, and now we've advanced to where if we're, a, we need to all work together, the mental health side, the financial well-being side, the, all the physical health side, uh, benefits, et cetera, um, all need to work together. So I'm, I've been pretty pleased with our ability to integrate, extract, and Tim, you mentioned it, it's data management, get the data in, central spot, analytics. Okay, then you have the analytics. Then the next part is management. Okay, you have what, then what? What are you going to do to get people to behave, Charles? Right, and that's the problem with it, that continues to be the issue is that behavior change. And then engage. How do you engage people, which continues to be, uh, enigmatic uh, on many fronts as well. So a lot of work to be done, but you know, um, we're getting better. I, I think some low hanging fruit here might be, and, and, and thank, thank you for that landscape because it, it really is helpful to sort of pull all of this into one unified view. I think a couple places to start is Aaron with your yes score. Uh, and, and then also, and the financial health side, financial health network has their Fin Health score, which is it's sort of a, a blend, be uh, almost a sentiment analysis. There's a strong 
sentiment component to that. I, I think if, if we can begin triangulating and, and looking at yes score, you know, in, inside, for example, in, in a, a FinHealth score inside of a population, let's say, of, of truckers, and, and then if there is a safety incident, to be able to go back and map things like financial transactions, can we sort of see the movement in that yes score over time? And 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 I so it seems I, I, I'm so encouraged by the conversations that we've had about this historically and today because it just feels doable. Yeah, I mean, you know, it feels like we're we're there. I mean, we just have to you know, there's a little bit of plumbing that needs to be done, uh, but but conceptually, I, I think you know these these models are, are going to come together pretty quickly. If, if, am I missing anything there or, or what, what other sort of opportunities could we see as just a way of just getting started? Because the, our industry, I'm telling you the financial well-being industry needs to be outcomes based and, and we're, we're not yet. <laughs> and so uh, it, what, what am I missing here or, or what would you sort of highlight or, you know, what should we accelerate? I think for me, you know, as I think about looking at things historically versus where the the world is going, I'm very encouraged. Um, But we need to move from, you know, point solution based, such as this program deals with this issue and separately this program deals with this issue and none of those silos talk to one another. I remember when I ran benefits for many years you get a PDF from every vendor and pretty soon you have 18 different PDFs and none of that data was talking to one another. And, you know, there was only so much you could do, but you really didn't know to what degree one piece may correlate with something else. So I think going from, you know, activity and point solution based to more outcomes based, um, standalone versus integrated is where I see a lot of that movement going. And bottom line is, you know, companies spend too much money nowadays on the workforce. I mean, for those listeners right now, if you're, you know, either working with employers or you work for an employer, think about how much you spend on people. It's not just the salary, it's the cost of benefits, it's the cost of insuring against, you know, accidents for those individuals. Um, You think about training and development. If somebody leaves, you have to replace them and those recruiting costs. So most companies are spending an enormous amount on people, but I think there's a lot of opportunity to move from standalone, um, you know, point solutions that aren't integrated um, to more outcomes-based integrated strategies. And you probably don't have to spend a lot more to do that. It's just reallocating what you're already spending and getting that all flowing in the right direction. I I, I love that. I I think you you just painted a really elegant picture of, of, of where I think we can evolve to over the next four or five years. You, you know, Aaron, is, I, I don't remember us talking about this, but I've, I, as you sort of layered in your perspectives here, I, it just struck me literally a couple minutes ago that, you know, we have financial health scores that we, we typically recommend you, you reassess every six months. Mm-hmm. You, you're, you're measuring in a self-managed model, literally, I, I'm assuming daily. Is it? It's Always. continuous. It's continuous. Always. It's live. Always. Think it, about how amazing that would be if we applied your model in, in a financial stress framework. Talk to me about that. Let the, what would that look like? I, I, I would say it has to be continuous, right? If we're to intervene, we have to meet people in the moment. T- timing is everything. Um, particularly if we're talking about behavior change. So 
uh, that I think has to be a part of what we do at the integration. Tim, you're spot on, you know, Tim's typically spot on. You're really spot on about the integration and, you know, the financial health metric. Yes, being the mental health metric. I scour, you know, the New York Times health section every day and go, okay, what's going on in the health world? And there was an article about all these disparate calculators, one for heart disease, one for dementia, one for cancer. And so you have to go through and create all do all these calculators to figure out your risk and then on your own go to a spreadsheet and enter everything come up with some conclusion and it's probably not a valid number that you came up in the first place so what are they doing i think it's a company called ePrognosis, an overall life expectancy calculator that involves all of those individual calculations and then doctors can treat specifically to life expectancy we're, we're talking about the same thing, right? Charles and Tim, we're taking these metrics, but we need to move toward that unified vision of a unified number, simple, meaningful, and live. Live so we can take the right actions in the moment. I, I tell you what, I mean, th that, that has me really excited that, you know, we... we and it's just it, maybe it was just non-obvious or, you know, I've just never really looked at it that way. It's why it's why we're doing this podcast candidly, just bring different perspectives to the table, just kind of, you know, unravel frameworks where they maybe have been calcified and just need some new energy. But the idea that we can map financial stress in sort of real time so so that it can be a thoughtful contrib contributor to things of lowering sort of the temperature on the mental health side. It's really cool. I mean, it's just kind of beyond cool. I mean, it's, it feels important. It feels like something that we can do, we can contribute to. And so, so let's, that, that's an absolute follow-up to this podcast. Because right? I, I think there's, there's real interesting um, outcomes that, that, that can come from that approach. And so for sure, that, that gets me, you know, I don't even know where to go from there. I mean, I, I just feel like, I, you know, an extra large pizza with you guys and, and, I mean, job done for the day for me. I don't know. If, I, I, I don't want to sign up, but I'm just so excited. By, we got some cool stuff to work on. So I would just say, Tim and Aaron, what, what do you think? I mean, where, where does all of this look five years from now? Um, what, what, what extra questions do you all have? I mean, or, or you know, where, where, where should we be headed? Where should we be spending energy and resources? And, and you know, let, let's, uh, I just love to hear from both of you and kind of, you know, forward looking and also any other questions you might have. Yeah, I mean, I spent the last 20 years really studying and being a part of the traditional wellness industry. And I see companies starting to move on from selecting point solutions to solve particular problems and really is more as part of the business strategy and their workforce strategy. You know, as tough as it is to compete for workers right now, um, you know, and as high as turnover is in certain industries, uh, such as what we see in transportation, companies are having to get a lot more savvy in terms of the programs and resources and benefits that they offer to individuals they have to be more strategic in nature in terms of how they deploy those to get the levels of engagement that they need to actually move the needle. So as I see five years from now, 
I think you're going to see companies stop investing in a lot of standalone solutions. Um, we don't have enough time today to go into chat GPT and AI and everything that that's going to introduce. But I tell you what, a lot of the areas where people consume information right now, I think are going to change, are going to be streamlined, and you're going to see greater investment in business strategies that address the individual right where they're at to solve the problem that moment. And that's what I'm really excited about helping be on the forefront and bringing that together. I share Tim's vision. Uh, I, I think AI is going to be, is already powerful, is going to be positioned to do a lot of good. I know there's risks there. Um, aware of that. We're, we're going, we're diving in the deep end there. Uh, I, I want to, uh, Tim, what you're saying to me, we sort of have as requisite integration, right? Requisite personalization. So we have the ability to meet each individual with what they need at the right time. And that's, that's really the concept of, you know, personal activation that we'll be able to do that and bring the tools that they need exactly the right tools at the right time will happen. And what that then does, which is really important, and Charles and Tim, I think this will actually inform healthcare. You know, I still always have a foot in the healthcare space as a mental health provider is that will provide a continuous evidence-based solution to employees, right? The evidence is showing this is moving the needle on the outcomes related to employee X and, and Joe. And on the healthcare side, you know, we, we've, we have a lot of randomized controlled trials and amazing science that's going on, but yet behaviors and decision-making many times aren't evidence-based. It's yes, we're using treatment guidelines to deal with depression, but in the end of every clinical incident is a treatment plan. And there's absolutely, trust me, no connection to outcomes or any metrics that are being looked at other than very much behind the scenes by actuaries. So I, I think that we're in the lead with the integration and the evidence-based approach and the personalization, and that's going to help other fields, you know, specifically healthcare, where I, you know, will always spend part of my life. Well, I tell you, this conversation today has just has me um, energized and hopeful. And, and, and that that that's a for for, for a Friday morning that, that that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love. That. I, uh, so I, I I can't tell you how much I I really sincerely appreciate uh, the conversation, the thoughtfulness, uh, the leadership, and, and a, the forward leaning, innovative mindset. Uh, it it really is. I I I feel. Feel very fortunate to have you both as colleagues and, and to have had this conversation today. And I just want to, want to thank you on behalf of all of our listeners as well.